You are listening to the Healing Migraines Naturally podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Caesar, and I'm helping women rediscover a migraine-free life. Today, I'm talking to Mary, who runs our awesome Facebook community, about the phrase, food is the best medicine. Is food our best medicine or our worst enemy when we have chronic migraines? Welcome, Mary. How are you? Hey, good. I have to say that I think laughter is the best medicine. So, (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. yeah. How are you doing? Good. Yeah, I I like to laugh. That's for sure. Me too. Like nothing makes me feel better. Let's talk about food. And my first thought is that's one of those cliche advice things that we talk about that probably is more frustrating to hear and almost aggravating when you're suffering from migraines. Mm-hmm. I thought that we should talk about this because I'm on the email list of a natural practitioner. The other day, I received an email. The subject line said, food is your best medicine, right? And this is really ubiquitous in the natural medicine space. Everybody does their little Instagram posts or their little Facebook posts, you know, food is your best medicine with the flowers in the background or the scenic vista in the background, right? (laughs) Yes. It's pretty ubiquitous in this natural medicine space. But when I saw this email come into my box and I saw this subject line, it really hit me. Just as you say, how irritating and frustrating and confusing this must be for a chronic migraine sufferer. I know when I was getting chronic migraines, I definitely would have gotten a little irritated (laughs) with that message. You know, what comes to mind are several things around this message, okay? So I think we've got a few things to unpack here. Obviously, if you're talking about chronic migraines, you're going to be talking about food triggers and all of the different uh, migraines that are generated by different types of foods or ingredients in foods that people eat. Classic one would be, say, MSG or soy sauce or something like that, right? How many chronic migraine sufferers, when they go into a restaurant, they have to interrogate the waiter. Okay, what's in the sauce? How is this prepared? Can you remove this? Can you remove that? Mm -hmm. There's definitely that concern around food triggers with chronic Mm -hmm. migraines. And when people experience migraines after eating different foods, Food doesn't seem like a medicine. It feels like an enemy. I think that cliche kind of gives the impression that if you just eat all the right things, you know, just eat healthy, just eat lots of fruits and vegetables and you'll be fine. But in most cases with migraines, it's not just a check the box of foods and you're good to go. Yeah. And when you have chronic migraines, you're not going to you know, the Chinese restaurant where everything is drenched in soy sauce Mm -hmm. and has that MSG in there because you can't eat like that. Right. So with my clients, you know, people are not hitting the Taco Bell in the afternoon and the McDonald's in the evening. Most of my clients are very meticulous with their eating habits because of the food trigger issue. They can't eat something with a mystery sauce. You know, they can't have tomatoes tomato sauce. You know, they can't have something with onions in it. They can't eat chocolate. They're already really, really mindful of what they're eating. And they're not just kind of eating the junk food, the bags of Doritos, you know, this type of stuff. Mm -hmm. 
food is my medicine? Well, how, how's that working out for me? Right. Because right. if I'm already eating all of the healthy things and I'm still getting migraines, it's like I've been lied to here, you know? Right. Yeah. So we have that aspect with this phrase, just the whole food trigger aspect. And for those of you that are new to the podcast, I have an entire episode dedicated to food triggers and what's really going on with food triggers. Okay. So check that one out. We can link to that one in the show notes. In addition to the food trigger aspect, okay, there are many women who have chronic migraines who have struggled with an eating disorder in their past. Mm-hmm. So this is something that comes up with my clientele fairly regularly. And until I started working exclusively with women with migraines, I didn't have it come up as much. Hmm. And I used to work in addiction medicine and amongst addicts and alcoholics, you would think there would be a lot of eating disorder uh, history in that group. But I have found that I have more women with migraines with a history of eating disorders than when I worked in addiction medicine with addicts and alcoholics. So interesting. Like Mm -hmm. who would have thought, right? Mm -hmm. So when you have struggled with an eating disorder, you have to be aware, or at least I, as their practitioner, I'm very aware that we don't want to do something that's going to generate anxiety around their eating habits. True. Right? For someone who's had an eating disorder, it may generate anxiety doing something like a food diary, or let's say you were going to do a keto diet. Well, you're going to have to do some macro counting, macronutrient counting, right? You're probably going to mm-hmm. go into a food app on your phone and log your meals in that and then have the app tell you how many grams of protein and fat and carbohydrates you've had that day. Well, people with an eating disorder in their history, in their past, doing something like that can generate anxiety. Having people, you know, feel like if I don't eat in a certain way, I'm going to be sick. It's like anxiety coming at you from all directions. Exactly. So, you know, you don't have to have struggled with an eating disorder to feel the pressure of, okay, I got to eat a certain way, otherwise I'm going to get a migraine. But particularly those women that have struggled with an eating disorder, this can really ramp up the pressure and ramp up the anxiety. Not only are you watching for food triggers, but then you're also slippery slope of, oh, I don't want to eat that because it's bad for me, like Mm -hmm. in a diet way too, right? Mm -hmm. You can overlap those two things. Exactly. Women who have recovered from an eating disorder have usually spent a lot of time working on not feeling like food is their enemy. Mm-hmm. And then when you get a migraine, like we've talked about in other podcasts, when we are in pain, our mind is going to look for the reason why we are in pain so that we can avoid it. At any cost. <laughs> right, at any cost, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, the mind is always going to focus, what did I just eat? Could that be the reason why I have a migraine? Because mm-hmm. we eat three times a day. You know, it's like if we get a migraine, probably the last thing we did of any substance was eat a meal. Right. Right. Our mind, in an effort to try to protect us from future pain, starts to analyze, okay, what could I have done to bring on this migraine? Well, pretty much the last thing anybody has ever done is eat something because we eat every five hours. 
So our mind is automatically going to fixate on what did I have for lunch? Try to pinpoint, well, okay, I had the almonds. Well, has this happened to me? Other times I've had almonds. Maybe I shouldn't eat the almonds. Our mind is going to start to sort of obsess around the food. And if you've had an eating disorder in the past, this can add even more anxiety to the picture because you've worked so hard to rebuild your relationship with food. And here's your mind blaming food again. Yeah, exactly. So for chronic migraine sufferers, right? Is food my friend or my enemy? It can be a tough question some days. I mean, just at surface level, knowing what I know, I would say most migraine sufferers would say it is the enemy, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So I started thinking about this and this kind of meme in the natural medicine space, right? Food Mm -hmm. is your best medicine. It goes back to a phrase that is attributed to Hippocrates, the famous ancient Greek physician, many times noted as the father of Western medicine. And so the quote attributed to him is, let food be thy medicine and let medicine be thy food. I'm sure you've heard that one too. (laughs) Yeah. I can just picture the little Instagram posts with that phrase and then, you know, (laughs) Hippocrates, right? Yeah. Interestingly, when I was preparing for the podcast, a researcher published a piece in 2013 that you can't find in any of Hippocrates' uh, surviving works this phrase. So it was kind of made up and attributed to Hippocrates. Yeah. It's amazing how often that happens. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But Hippocrates, he did emphasize One, that the body can heal and recover and that there are things that we humans can do to improve our health, okay? So that thread within Western medicine, which has always been competing against the other thread in Western medicine, which is a thread of suppressing the symptoms. But Hippocrates did stress that there is the ability to heal and recover and that we have some control over that. Mm-hmm. He did talk about how people's eating habits impact their health. He did talk about that in his work. So this kind of flowery, right? They've got the thy words in there. Let food be thy medicine, right? It kind of sounds old fashioned. So somebody made this up and attributed it to Hippocrates. Well, it must be true then. <laughs> exactly. It's on the internet and it says thy <laughs> And then there was a book in the 60s that was published that was actually called Food is the Best Medicine. So that book goes back to, I believe, the mid-60s. So let's talk a little bit about this, okay? Obviously, the food that we eat is important to our health. I don't think I'm going out on a limb making that statement. No. (laughs) This ties in to the three principles that I talk about that are required to restore our health and maintain our health. Mm -hmm. So if you've been following the podcast, I talk a lot about these three principles. So when we are not feeling well, when our body is generating symptoms, when our body is generating migraines, it's because we're not in a state of health. Not because we're doomed or genetically defective. Our body generates symptoms when we're not in a state of health. How else would we know unless we had some signals to alert us to this? And that if we know what to do, we can restore our health. Okay. 
So there are three things that we have to do to restore our health, and I call these the three principles. So the first principle is we have to get the nutrients that our cells need to every cell in the body. Mm -hmm. Second principle is we have to clear metabolic waste material from the body. And then the third principle is we have to restore our resiliency and vitality. The food that we eat actually impacts all three of these principles. Mm -hmm. In that sense, the food that we eat has an impact on our health. If we are choosing food that's going to have a positive impact within all of those three principles or a health-supporting impact within all three of those principles, that's going to help our body return to a state of health. Mm -hmm. If we're choosing foods that kind of have a negative within those three principles, then that's going to further drain ourselves within those three principles and we're going to feel worse over time. Just to clarify, yes, we need to eat healthy foods so that it, you know, all the nutrients get to our cells and that kind of thing. But that sounds very similar to saying food is our medicine. But then mm-hmm. the flip side of that is okay, then we're saying that some foods are having a negative impact, which could be misconstrued as quote unquote triggers. It sounds like there's a fine line between the typical school of thought around migraines and what's really going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great clarifying point. Let me use an example. Let's say that somebody is eating Doritos. Mm -hmm. Okay, not known to be a health food. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, It's it's called junk food. Uh So with Doritos, okay, so you have the Doritos made out of, let me Google here, what type of flour Doritos are made out of. I'm, a, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> if you can say every word on that list, Leslie, I'm going to be impressed. <laughs> right, right. Looking at the list of ingredients for Doritos, the first item is corn. Okay, so that's going to be a ground up, a processed corn flour. Okay. Mm -hmm. You have the nutrients from the corn and then you have additives in here. So we have the infamous monosodium glutamate, MSG. Mm -hmm. We have some food additives. We've got some food dyes, et cetera. You are really making me want Doritos, which is super messed up (laughs) because you're telling me how bad it is. I know, (laughs) right? I want some. (laughs) I'm more of a Fritos person. I like those more than Doritos. (laughs) So we've got some additives in here, and then we have the Doritos made in a factory. Okay. Mm -hmm. Doritos, when you buy Doritos, what's the expiration date on Doritos? I don't know, a year from now? It's not a food that's going to rot in a couple days. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we've got some things within the Doritos that are actual foods, like the corn, there's salt. Okay. There is dried cheese that they sprinkle on there. You have a mixture of things that are made out of actual food. And then you have some things that are food additives that are not actually food. Right. This is what we typically think of as a junk food. And at what point does the the real food become not real food after it's processed? (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. So within the first principle, which is getting the nutrients to every cell in the body, if we're eating a food that doesn't have a lot of nutrients in it, right, it's not going to add a lot of nutrients to the system. So Doritos, the ingredients here, 
not the most nutrient-dense ingredients. Now, the cells of our digestive tract require nutrients to digest the Doritos. Mm. So now I'm putting something in that's going to require nutrients to break down and digest. Does it have enough nutrients to even replace the digestive process, let alone be a net positive, a net gain? I don't have a study on this, but it's, some, it's something interesting to consider. So we want to be eating food that after we expend the nutrients to digest the food, we've got nutrients left over that are going to be a net gain. The second principle is clearing metabolic waste material and toxins. When I'm eating food with red dye number five in it, that is to the body a toxin that has to be removed. Okay? Mm-hmm. So now my liver has to work overtime to clear that dye. Right. Guess what? My liver needs nutrients to do that work. My liver has to generate its own metabolic waste material just to process the dye. So if I'm eating food, again, is this going to be a net positive or a net loss? Right. And then finally, the third principle, increasing our resiliency and vitality. Food has vitality in it. We can see that when the food rots. Mm -hmm. In order for food to rot, in order for mold to grow on food, the food has to have a life force, has to have some vitality to it. Do you remember that movie, Super Size Me? Yeah. Yeah, so a documentary filmmaker, he had the, uh, I'd I'd eat McDonald's breakfast, lunch, and dinner for 30 days and then make a movie out of it. (laughs) So he purchased a McDonald's burger and fry, took it out of the wrapper, put it on a plate, put it on his kitchen counter and let it sit there for 30 days. That food did not break down at all in 30 days. That's so weird. Right? That's how little vitality was in the McDonald's food. Hmm. This was not in the fridge. This was sitting out on the counter for 30 days. Well, and you would think eventually even a mouse would come by and take a nibble, but apparently not. Yeah. Animals, (laughs) they don't eat that kind of food. Even (laughs) mice don't want it. (laughs) Right, exactly. So food can have vitality in it or it can be lacking in vitality. When we eat food that has vitality in it, we absorb that vitality into us. When you think about this on a day-to-day level, notice the expiration dates on the food that you buy. Mm-hmm. I just went to Costco last night. I got some chicken thighs. Well, before I picked that up out of the butcher counter, I made sure I checked the expiration date, right? Because sometimes you buy uh, meat and then you get it home and it's like, oh, wait a minute. The date on this is tomorrow. I just bought this, right? You're always checking those expiration dates. Make sure mm-hmm. you're digging down in the bin, getting the, the one with the best date. Right. Because that chicken, right, the, the chicken is no longer alive, but there's still vitality in the meat. And if you don't cook that chicken soon enough, it's going to start to rot in your fridge. Mm-hmm. Versus Doritos, like I say, what's the expiration date? At least a year after you buy it. Right. So something that can sit in a bag, right? You can't put a piece of chicken and put it in a bag and let it sit in your pantry for a year. That's not going to oh. happen. But you can sit that Doritos bag in your pantry for a year. That's right. how little vitality is left in the Doritos after the factory processing. Mm. Okay. So when we have Doritos, do we have a net gain within these three principles or do we have a net negative within these three principles? 
sounds to me like the math is not looking good. <laughs> not looking so good for Doritos. <laughs> right. I still kind of want one, but. <laughs> right? Exactly. Now, for you, Mary, life is not worth living without being able to eat some Doritos. Right? Uh, me, I like to say, I'm more really of a Fritos hungry. gal, but still, I like to have some Fritos a couple times a year, right? They're good. Yeah. They taste good. Yeah. So when we eat a food like Doritos that has a net negative impact within these three principles, I've got to have enough excess in these three principles. I've got to have enough nutrients built up so that when I expend nutrients to digest the Doritos, I'm not in a negative position. Mm -hmm. I've got to have enough capacity in my detoxification pathways to handle that red dye that's on the Doritos and still feel good. And I've got to have enough vitality to make up for these Doritos that have no vitality and can sit around for a year. Right. Does that mean that if I eat my Doritos with a pile of broccoli, I should be good to go? Well, you can yeah, tongue-in-cheek, but you know what I'm trying to get up. (laughs) Yeah. See, you're picking up on this, right? Mm -hmm. Is the food good or bad? Well, Mm -hmm. in what context are we eating the food? What is my state of health? What is the state of my three principles before I open that Doritos bag? Mm. And this is the uh, getting to the, I want to say, fallacy of food triggers or this food is, you know, good for you, or this food is bad for you. Okay. Because if I'm right on the line to getting a migraine, if I'm just kind of, my needle is like hovering right above my migraine zone Mm -hmm. and I eat a whole bag of Fritos, I might get a migraine. Ask me how I know this, Mary. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have any idea. (laughs) Uh I still remember the 3 a.m. wake up the morning after I ate, yes, an entire bag of Fritos with the migraine, right? I still remember that when it was a whopper. And you're like, oh, curse me. (laughs) Right? But if I'm right hovering above my migraine zone, right? Because we migraine sufferers, we know when we're, I call it, you know, the uh uh-oh moment. Uh Mm Uh-oh, something's brewing here. I know something's a little, getting a little off here, right? So if we go in, we're right on that line and we open up that bag of Doritos, right? I'm on my migraine. I'm right on the line of my migraine zone because I'm getting a little deficient within those three principles mm-hmm. and my needle's starting to go down. Yeah. It's safe to assume that if somebody is being triggered by anything that they put in their body, their needle is already hovering over the migraine zone ready to drop, right? Right. So is it the Doritos or is it my state of health at the time I'm eating the Doritos. Listen to, I go into more depth on food triggers in this dedicated podcast episode to food triggers, but this is giving you a little bit of a taste, no pun intended, to what's (laughs) really going on here, okay? Mm -hmm. But what happens is, recalling a true story from my life, waking up with this pounding migraine after I eat these Fritos. Of course, my mind said, Fritos, you shouldn't have had those Fritos. Why did you eat those Fritos? Yes, my mind made me have a little anxiety for a little while around Fritos. It was generating that food anxiety, trying to protect me, even though 
technically the problem wasn't really the Fritos. Right. I, I have enjoyed Fritos over the years since then. I don't have a problem. But I have gotten much better over the years of sort of understanding where am I right now? Where's my needle right now? And if I can detect that my needle, eh, it's kind of getting a little bit down. Okay, what would be a better course of action for me today? Mm. Right? Have the Fritos or not, right? I can make that decision based on tuning in to where I am at that time. On your health scale. Exactly. Right. And that's very different than me saying, oh, I can't eat Fritos. I wish Mm. I could eat Fritos. Those Fritos look so good. I wish I could have a bite, but I don't want, you know, it's a very, very different experience for me. So on some level, there is healing that does come from food. It not may not necessarily be the best medicine, quote unquote, but like the healing does come to some extent by eating the right foods that give your nutrients to your body. But yes, absolutely. But there's that but at the end of that. I don't like to think of foods as being good or bad. Mm -hmm. There are some foods that are going to be inherently more health supporting because they're checking those three boxes or they're Mm -hmm. checking two of the three or they're checking one of the three boxes. And then there are going to be some foods, usually the foods that we call junk foods, Mm -hmm. that are going to be kind of a net negative in one, two, or three of those principles for us. But if we have enough sort of stored up within those three principles, we can weather some of those foods that cause a net deficit. I think I've said this before, but one of the most mind-blowing things that you've said to me in the podcast and what I've learned is that a normal, healthy person should be able to eat a variety of foods without stressing. Like if your health is already in a positive direction, like going out to a restaurant and eating MSG isn't going to make or break you. You should be able to handle. Yeah. You should be able to weather that. Yeah. This is something that my clients tell me all the time. You know, I can't tell you how many clients over the years have told me, Dr. Leslie, you won't believe it. I went out to a restaurant with the family and I just ordered off the menu and I didn't have to go through this five minute thing with the waiter and feel so self-conscious <laughs> and my husband, you know, rolling his eyes. Here we go again with the interrogation of the waiter. We all know there's one person that we go out to dinner like with that. <laughs> it's like that. <laughs> we all have that friend. <laughs> right, right. Now, that filmmaker who made the movie Supersize Me. So he went in. Now, this is a, this is a really fascinating aspect of this movie. So before he started this 30-day experiment, he went into his primary care physician and got blood work done, okay? Kind of the typical screening blood work that is done, okay? Mm -hmm. And he told his doctor, this is what I'm going to do. And his doctor said, oh, I don't care if you eat McDonald's. The food you eat doesn't really impact your health. Oh, boy. This is what his medical doctor told him. So his medical, you know, he kind of did his due diligence. Let me get doctor approval before I do this thing of eating McDonald's three times a day. And the doctor was like, oh, yeah, you know, it's not going to have any impact on your health. So interesting. Now, this man ate McDonald's and then he had a little deal if the clerk at McDonald's asked him, do you want to supersize it? Remember that whole thing? I'm assuming they still supersize stuff at McDonald's. Yeah. So he would order the regular sizes unless the clerk asked him, do you want to supersize it? And then he would say yes. That was his, the parameters. 
So okay. he had all these supersized <laughs> meals because at that time they asked you all the time if you want to supersize them. Right. So then he went back in. He might have gone back in weekly for blood work. I can't remember the exact, but it was frequent blood work that he went in. And before the 30 days were up, his liver enzymes were, you know, elevated, his cholesterol was... The doctor actually begged him to stop the experiment before the 30 days were up because to the medical doctor's surprise, the McDonald's food had so much of an impact on his health that it was picked up by blood work. Which is incredible that fast. Correct. I've done another podcast on blood work and what it picks up and what it doesn't pick up. We'll link to that one too in the show notes. So you have to have serious impacts for it to be picked up on standard blood work. Mm-hmm. And that's how quickly eating that McDonald's food deteriorated his health. It's so crazy. Right? You're eating this food that is not nutrient dense, that has toxic additives, and has little to no vitality. You have a negative in all three of these principles. So you cannot eat indefinitely these types of foods. I don't think I'm going out on a limb to tell people that you can't eat Doritos every day, all day, three times a day. I don't think right. I'm going out on a limb. Right. But life isn't worth living for some people unless they can have <laughs> some Doritos occasionally. And I couldn't agree more. Right, right. So we want to get to the point where we can indulge mm-hmm. appropriately. Right. I want to tie it back to those women listening that have a history of an eating disorder Mm. because eating disorders can take many different forms, but there is usually an adversarial relationship with food. There's usually a conception in the unconscious that, you know, some food is evil. Some Mm -hmm. food is heavenly. It's very black and white, good or bad. I'm good. If I do this, I'm bad. If I do that. Right. There's a lot of obviously obsession around Mm -hmm. food. Many people with eating disorders, they're logging the food, they're counting the calories. It's like this whole controlling aspect. This is very, very different than coming to a relationship with food where nothing is evil or heavenly. You as a person doesn't change. You are not good or bad based on what you eat. The food is not good or bad. It's a matter of What would be health supporting for me right now? Right. But it's so sad that we do have such a morality judgment thing around food. It really is. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. We have such a high pressure to participate in eating culture. Like I've noticed that over the last several months, I've been eating differently. I gave up my Diet Cokes. that it was painful, like way worse than Doritos. Um, I haven't had sugar since December. I didn't eat any sugar all the way through Christmas. I haven't had a birthday cake for my birthday. It's interesting when you take, and I'm not doing it in a you know dysfunctional way. It's it's a doctor ordered kind of thing. But it's interesting when you take a step back from the normal food culture you have. You start seeing how pervasive it is. People are constantly bringing treats to work. You can't go out to dinner without getting X, Y, and Z. And you can't hang out with people if you don't have a meal. And you like, we have so much food ingrained in our culture. Yeah. But then we tell everyone that if they indulge in something, they're bad. Right. 
it's a double whammy either way you go. There's a lot of judgment around Mm -hmm. people judge other people based on their food. People apologize. Mm -hmm. You know, I have some friends that are not naturopathic doctors and then I get a, you know, go out to lunch with them or get a coffee with them and they apologize to me over what they order as if (laughs) I care. You know, but they think, oh, you know, you're a naturopath. I know this isn't good for me. Like they're apologizing because they think I'm going to judge what they're ordering. We humans have been sitting around the campfire with our kin sharing food since the dawn of time. Yeah. It is very ingrained in us. It is very wired within us that with your kin, you share food. And this is how you bond with your kin. You reinforce those kin bonds is by Mm -hmm. sharing food and by people accepting your food. This is what we eat. It's very, very ingrained in us. Very, very deep culture around it. And I honestly realize too, like, I don't know if anyone else's family is like this, but once you take away the cake and ice cream, I don't have a clue what to do for my birthday. You know, like, Uh what else is there? So like, it's just so deeply ingrained that I don't think we even realize it. I think it's hardwired within us. Yeah. You know, I I mean, the type of food that we share with our kin is dictated by culture, but I think the wiring is there. Yeah, I would agree. When we do go over to our mother-in-law's house for a meal and we say, oh, I can't eat that. I I can't eat this food. I'm going to get a migraine. (laughs) Our mother-in-law gets offended. Right, that is hardwired in there too. I think <laughs> the mother-in-law like, dynamic specifically. Mother-in-law, the mother-in-law must be offended if you don't eat her meal. I think right? that's a genetic thing too. <laughs> right, understanding where we humans are coming from. Yeah, our mother-in-law wants us to like her. Oh yeah, wants sure. us to appreciate all of the hard work that she did to have us over. Right. Yeah. It's not just her being intolerant or judgmental, right? There's a lot under this. Yeah. It's so much more pleasant to have, you know, have enough built up within these three principles that we can eat her wheat pasta. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Or gluten, non-gluten-free pasta or whatever it might be. Right. And we can have the tomato sauce, right? We can have the onion and the meatballs. It's so nice. And then we feel good too, being able yeah. to, because we want to share food with our kin too. We're wired just the same as our mother-in-law is wired. Yeah. It's weird how left out you feel when you stop eating what everyone else eats. Yeah. I'm not trying to like, you know, woe is me or anything, but I did, I went to work today and my neighbor slash coworker brought in this beautiful pan of raspberry cinnamon rolls Mm. and inside I'm just like curse you (laughs) you know I didn't eat any of it because that's I'm trying to eat in a healthy way and um no sugar and whatever but I was just like kind of sad to like sit back and not participate it wasn't necessarily the food as much as feeling like the odd person out you know yeah yeah just being a part of it yeah so interesting how much the culture revolves around food and but I do love the point that you're making I think throughout this whole podcast is it's not really about the food. It's about being healthy enough that we can tolerate the foods that we can eat, right? Correct. Yeah. We want to have the majority of our food support our health. 
again, I don't think I'm going out on a big limb and stating, you know, earth shattering news with that statement. But we want to have enough in reserve so that we can have some birthday cake. We can have some cinnamon rolls. The problem, the work environment that you're working in now at a school, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. it's notorious that teachers are just inundated (laughs) with candy. And like, you know, at my daughter's school, every teacher appreciation day, there's a sign up list and everything is the donuts and the Mm -hmm. candies. And, you know, this, I think, is a problem because (laughs) most people are not feeling well. Okay. People may not have migraines, but let me tell you, most Americans are not feeling that well. They may not have migraines. They've got other problems. Okay. Everybody should be working on feeling better, you know? So I feel for teachers, you're kind of going down the gauntlet there when you walk into the teacher's lounge. (laughs) I'm just giggling because you're spot on. Like for Christmas, we had the 14 pounds of Christmas, which was a funny way to say every single day there was a full buffet style meal. A different department held the meal every day for 14 days before Christmas, which was beautiful and lovely. And I didn't have to pack lunch and I ate the healthy things I could, I wanted to eat, but it was, yeah, you're, (laughs) I'm sure that it's not just schools, but it's interesting, like how much we focus on food. I mean, it, what the 14 pounds of Christmas? So you gain 14 pounds yeah, over the Christmas yeah. season? Because <laughs> we eat, you know, this amazing buffet and supposedly you can gain 14 pounds. Like it's just a clever name, but it's the 14 pounds of Christmas menu. <laughs> there are many, many delicious foods that check the boxes within these three principles, many of which we call comfort foods and things like that, right? I'm not talking people have to eat raw broccoli all the time. Okay? <laughs> I hate raw broccoli. <laughs> yeah. If I go somewhere and they got those raw broccoli trays, I never eat that stuff. I'm not talking about you've got to be on this, you know, rabbit diet. Right. right. I always p- picture health food. Like the first thing that pops in my head is a plain piece of chicken and a side of broccoli. <laughs> like, yeah. That's Cardboard. Got to eat my chicken and broccoli, but you're right. (laughs) Right. You do not have to eat that way to eat food that's going to check the box of one or two or even three of these principles. I love the food that I eat, Mm -hmm. but I also have enough in reserve within these three principles that I can have my birthday cake, my daughter's birthday cake. I can Mm -hmm. have the Christmas cookies, the Valentine's Day chocolate, whatever it is. Okay. There are times, there have been times in my life where I've said, you know what, I'm not going to have any Christmas cookies this year because I could feel I was getting a little deficient Mm -hmm. there. And so then I have a choice, right? Okay, I'm feeling like I'm getting a little low here in these three principles. What do I want to do for myself? Yeah, That's very different than being in a battle with my food, feeling deprived, white knuckling my way, Mm -hmm. trying not to eat a Christmas cookie, right? It's a totally different dynamic. Right. So let me ask you a trick question in a way. Uh-huh. When you work with your clients, like you don't hand them a list of do eats and do not eats, right? Correct. Like not, I do not do that. Yeah, which a lot of practitioners do from my understanding. Correct. What I teach with my clients are the principles of how to put together your meals, your snacks, so that you're checking the boxes 
on one or two or maybe even three of those principles when you eat. And when you do that over and over again, I mean, look, I have meals where I'm only checking one out of those three boxes or two out of those three boxes. There are going to be times when we eat that we're not going to be able to check all three of those boxes. Mm -hmm. But if I can check one box, I can check two boxes. Maybe sometimes I can check all three. I'm going to be continuously building up within these three principles. And you can do that in an infinite number of ways that make sense for you with food that you like to eat, food Mm -hmm. that your family likes to eat, that is something you can maintain with your work schedule or your family life. You don't have to be a chef. (laughs) Exactly, right. So, you know, there are certain foods that I don't like. So you can eat what fits you and your taste buds, basically. Exactly. And again, I want to bring it back to women Mm -hmm. who have struggled with eating disorders in their life. Mm -hmm. I have a couple clients currently that when they were younger, struggled with an eating disorder. For them, if I give them a list, right now I'm back to, these are the good foods and these are the evil foods. Mm -hmm. Eat this and don't eat this. You're good if you eat on this list and you're bad if you eat on this list. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, you got a migraine. Well, you ate on the bad list. What do you expect? Oh, now I got to, right? It's a very punishing way of looking at food. I take into consideration, okay, has this person struggled with an eating disorder in the past? People have different levels of comfort with food if they've struggled with an eating disorder in the past. So some people will say, you know what? It's really not anything that comes into my mind anymore. I really have kind of healed that whole episode. I have other clients where, you know what? I will not bring a scale into my house. Um, I will never use a tracker. I will never write down the food that, you know, I'm not going to do a diet diary. I can't do anything where I'm going back into this mindset of evil food, good food, Mm -hmm. right? And so, okay, great. We're not going to do anything like that. I don't do that anyway, but there's different stages or places where people are at in their recovery from eating disorders. And practitioners have to be very aware of that and they have to accommodate that. Right. So these, you know, migraine food lists, eat from this list, only eat one of these, you know, don't don't have any of these foods. We're getting back into this good food, bad food, you're good, you're bad based on how you eat. And that's not the case at all. Right. I was actually just going to ask another trick question. And that is, so you also don't hand them a list of things not to eat or give them a frequency of how how often they can indulge. Right. It's not like you could tell them like, oh, you can eat birthday cake once a month, but not more than that. Like, Right. Yeah. Or you can only have sugar on Sundays or, you know, this type of thing. You just got off diet soda. Oh my goodness. Is that difficult (laughs) for a lot of people to get off soda? It's literally, and to this day, it's not even the necessarily the addiction to it as much as that was my ritual. That was my happy thing. You know, like I know a lot of people like to hold their coffee in the morning and that uh-huh. that was me, but with fancy Diet Cokes. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have them where, where you're at, but we have Swig and Fizz and all these fancy Diet Coke, place, Coke places, which are like Starbucks for Diet Coke drinkers. Really? It's a bad, bad thing. There's probably one on like every other corner in Utah, I swear. Really? Yeah, you go, I'm just going to share this with the world because everyone needs to know that they they need this in their life. No. 
it's a like diet coke and then they put like cherry or coconut in it and dump a bunch of cream on top and like so they fancy up whatever it is that you like to drink so it's definitely the ritual that was hard to give up you know yeah the little treat or reward for making it that much of the day, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> For being a mom and earning a few yep. adulting stickers. <laughs> yeah. like, I did yeah. laundry. <laughs> right. So what do you think, Mary? Do you think we covered it? I think we probably covered it a little bit more. <laughs> it was a good conversation though, I think. Good. Very interesting. So if you are in this situation where you're in a battle with your food, you're in a battle or you're in an anxiety state around migraine food triggers, if you're avoiding food, right, if the list of acceptable foods or non-triggering foods is getting smaller and smaller, okay, we can turn that around. We can get you eating food that you like. There's plenty of health-supporting food out there, plenty, okay? And it doesn't require eliminating grains or beans. You know, we've got all these diets, right? The paleo diet, you can't eat any food that's been around less than 10,000 years. Okay. (laughs) Right. uh, Okay. Right. Or, you know, you have to eat all meat. You have to eat all plants. You have to count your macros. You don't have to do any of that to check these three boxes with your eating habits. Yeah. And what I do is more than just having people change their eating habits. Many people will start to feel better by eating food that checks those three boxes because, like I say, that starts to accumulate over time. But most women, vast majority of women who have chronic migraines, are going to need to address those three principles in additional ways than just their eating habits. Okay. But our eating habits, like I say, can definitely impact our health when we eat in such a way that we check those boxes within those three principles. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Mary. It's good chat. We'll talk to you soon. And thank you for listening. Before you go, be sure to like this episode, subscribe to this podcast, share with someone in your life who you think would benefit from this information. And if you want to stay connected with us, You can join my free Facebook group, Healing Migraines Naturally with Leslie Caesar, ND, where over 10,000 women are rediscovering a migraine-free life. You can go to Healing Migraines Naturally with Leslie Caesar, ND in the Facebook search bar or to healingmigrainesnaturally.com and we'll redirect you to the group.